Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Power Creep. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast. Folks at home, I'm, I'm delighted to inform you that, uh, that we talk about games. Um, so Power Creep. Power Creep is, uh, is a topic that I brought up. Um, but first I want to try and like set a definition. So what would you say is like the definition of Power Creep from like a game design standpoint? Um, basically as, as the game goes on, updates, uh, increase the average or median level of power. Um, uh, I think both work, uh, just, just like the, the average level of power goes up. Um, and so you tend to favor the later updated things because they tend to be more powerful. Okay. Interesting. There's a lot to unpack when, when it comes to power creep. Um, and I think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about the idea. Um, also, full disclosure, the reason this is uh, this is on my mind is because they just revealed. Uh, well, Cobalt and Catacomb has actually just come out today when we're, we're we are recording this, um, and there are some instances in there of people calling things power creep that aren't necessarily power creep. And this is something that's, that's been in Hearthstone's uh, past. It's it's very easy to talk about power creep in Hearthstone as compared to other games because uh, you know being a card game, right? It is much more like the mechanics of of a of a card are much more readable compared to other kinds of mechanics yeah, and other the, kinds of games, and they're much more comparable to other cards. You know what I mean? Like, and the numbers are much more flat. It's not like you have to worry about like decimal yeah. points and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. But uh, but I definitely do think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about power creep and about what power creep um, kind of is. Now, so you're talking about average, right? Uh, but something that people talk about pretty commonly is specific power creep, right? Where you say, well, this thing is power creep on that thing, right? A good example from Hearthstone would be, you know, um, Ironback Patriarch, a 1-4 for th uh, 1-4 beasts, you know, three mana with taunt or whatever. Um, and uh, and then a couple of sets later, they come out with Squirming Tentacle, which is a 2-4 for three mana with taunt, right? Um, uh, so, so, so when I say average, I mean like, those later cards being more powerful bring up the average, right? Like, but by necessity, if that makes sense. Okay, but do you think Squirming Tentacle is is a, is an instance of power creep? Um, I think pretty definitionally, yes. Interesting. See, I would disagree. This is kind of why I wanted to talk about it because um, because this gets brought up and a lot of other instances in Hearthstone um, have been brought up over time, right? And uh, so, and then there's another part of this, which is that. Um, something that Hearthstone has done is kind of adopt like the formats, right, of Standard and Wild, right? In Standard, it's only the last two years of cards that have been printed that are legal, and then the basic and classic sets. Uh, in Wild, everything's game. Um, and so it makes it a little tough to talk about Power Creep, because you could also make an argument where, like, Magic makes this argument all the time about its Power Creep, where it says, you know, like, this, like, we are printing this card for this set, and yeah, it's Power Creep over another card, but it's going to rotate out of Standard, and then it's going to, you know, the, the this super powerful 4-drop is going to change, you, what, you know, whatever the case may sure. be, right? Uh, I want to set that argument kind of aside, because I think it's, you know, a little tangential, and just kind of, like, address the directness of, is Ironback Patriarch... Uh, to squirming tentacle, an instance of power creep. Well, uh, so part 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 of that question too is like, is like p power creep. Like it, it, this kind of relies on on the card eventually rotating out of the set. But like, um, by itself, 
I don't know if it counts as power creep because like you could make a specific decision about a specific card and then like remove that kind of like level of power layer down the line. But like it isn't existent. It's kind of like a straight power up of, 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 of an existing card. Unless you're like pointing to something like the, you know, iron back patriarchs a beast. So maybe that has some value to it. That's that- true. That makes it a little bit like not comparable. Uh, another example, just to switch this up to make it like as fair as I can possibly think about it, is um, uh, is Evil Heckler, which is a five four taunt for four mana versus uh, Booty Bay Bodyguard, which is a five four taunt uh, for five mana. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that's that. That's pretty. That that's that's pretty cut and dry. Right, um, yeah. In every situation, no matter what, right. Uh, Evil Heckler is a better card than Booty yeah, yeah. Bodyguard. I, I, I think strictly better than is probably a better term to use there than Power Creep because I think Power Creep okay. gets into some other nuances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because you know, I definitely, I definitely agree uh, that it is obviously it is a strictly better card. Um, but I think when people talk about power creep, especially by focusing on this stuff, like I, I definitely don't want to say that Hearthstone hasn't had power creep. It absolutely has. I just kind of feel like people get hung up on these examples because they're kind of so blatant when they're not actually. And Ben Brode, I'm, I'm cribbing a lot from Ben Brode, um, the game director, because he put out a video, however many years ago, kind of talking about why. Uh, he doesn't consider this stuff to be power creep. Um, and I, and, uh, and so I'm kind of parroting what he's saying specifically about evil heckler, though. I do think power creep absolutely exists within the game and like deserves to be kind of, uh, uh, addressed. Okay. So, 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 so what's, what's the argument that it's not power creep? All right. Yeah. So the argument that it's not power creep is essentially that like, um, cards are measured by kind of efficiency more than they are by like raw overall power, if that makes sense, right? So essentially what you kind of have is um, uh, there are cards, like the, the most powerful cards are re- like are really kind of the most efficient cards, right? Obviously we wouldn't say that, you know, um, a 2-1 for, or a 1-1 one, one for 1 like Argent Squire is a quote unquote powerful card, right? Um, but it is an efficient card, and it gets and it sees a lot of play, right? Efficient cards see play, sort of. Right. And um, uh, and so when we're talking about kind of efficiency, right, and then we start looking at some of these instances of power creep that get brought up, um, they are pretty universally inefficient cards that aren't seeing a lot of play, either in constructed or in a limited format, right? Like arena or uh you know where you construct your own deck sort of thing right and so because um you know you have booty bay bodyguard where nobody is playing that in in the metagame right even in low levels of the metagame it's not included over cards uh that are like uh, like basic cards like chillwind yeti or something along those kinds of lines um and so when you take a card that is not performing and you iterate on that card to make it strictly better right as long as that iteration doesn't become right, like power, you know, like power defining. Okay, so it is not it is not an instance of power creep because the power creep only happens on that top band, right, on the most efficient cards okay. that are seeing play. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's basically saying that like it's not that the, the the powerful cards. It's not like the average is moving up it's that that this card isn't part of the average at all right now so we're replacing it exactly right it's a little bit of like an ideal versus practical situation where like practically this card doesn't see any play so printing a better version of it to see if that does get play right like that makes a certain amount of sense okay um 
I think I so so what I think happens in that case is is, is I see that I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I think the the issue that's really exposed there that people call power creep because they don't kind of know what they're talking about to be a little bit like yeah, yeah, haughty yeah. Is, is kind of like um, a dislike of the way that 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 that's dealt with. Right? It's not that booty bay bodyguard doesn't deserve to be upcycled. It's that it's a new card in a new set. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically speaking, right? Bay. They could just buff booty bay bodyguard. Right. And, right. Uh, right. But Hearthstone, uh, you know, Hearthstone, I don't think has ever buffed a card, to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure they only ever nerf cards. Um, so that's kind of so that's kind of like the the core argument from the kind of like Ben Brode side of thing. This argument has also been echoed in kind of other places, right? Like it's not just Ben Brode defending his own game. Extra credits before Ben Brode actually made a thing about it. Extra credits also did an episode about Power Creep and Hearthstone where they specifically, you know. They, they laid out this exact same argument. Um, but I do think that there is power creep in Hearthstone, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking about that, right? So what happened um, uh, what, what happened when it comes to power creep uh, in Hearthstone is typically not that, like, strictly better versions of cards get made. What, what happens is super efficient cards get printed, and then other efficient cards get printed at that level to either counter you know what i mean or kind of like fill out that 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 level of um right you, you, know, you, that, you print something to compete with that card right uh the best example of this is piloted shredder which got printed in goblins versus known an incredibly efficient four drop it's a four three for four mana mech uh, when it dies, you summon a random two-cost minion, right? So it's sticky, it stays on the board, it gets you six mana of stats, right, over the over the death rattle. It dodges, you know, a, like a part of that card dodges removal because it's summoning extra value on the on the back end sort of thing, right? Saw decks, it saw play in basically any deck uh, that was like an aggro tempo, tempo mid-range kind of deck, you know, it's uh, tons and tons of play. And then the next expansion comes out, uh, the Argent Tournament. Um, and in the Argent Tournament, they were printing a lot of, of three five cards right uh a lot of them form like four mana three fives that do a variety of different things right um and the kind of saying goes essentially that like those three fives were printed in response to the power of piloted shredder because a three five can trade with piloted shredder and stick around to trade with that two cost minion and so by like you know, essentially by printing other powerful cards in that range, they're able to bring piloted shredder down, quote unquote. But really what they're doing is printing more powerful cards to even out that playing field sort of thing. Um, this has also happened in the cases um, where certain cards uh, don't get played and then a, a newly printed version of that card gets tons of play, right? So this is essentially kind of like, it's the booty bay bodyguard thing, but where the whatever they changed in in iterating on the card, right, um, brought that card up so high in power level that it's broken, right. Uh, the the example here would be Prince Keleth, Prince Keleseth. Um, in the Argent tournament, they re they released a card, a six mana four four for shaman that said all the minions in your handed deck get plus one plus one, right, just like a battle cry. It was a legendary, right. Um, in not a very good card. Six mana for four four stats is pretty poor, right? It comes out so late in the game that it really doesn't matter all that much, giving the rest of your cards plus one plus one. But you know, in Knights of the Frozen Throne, they release a card called Prince Keleseth, right? A two mana two two that says, you know, for with a battle cry that says, if you have no other two cost minions in your deck, give all the minions in your deck plus one plus one. 
this comes down on turn two, right? You can mulligan for this uh, so that you can make sure that you get it down. A rogue can use shadow step, right? To shadow step it up and then play it again to give more plus one plus ones to the cards in the deck, right? Um, and it has been insanely meta-defining for the back half of the Knights of the Frozen Throne expansion, right? The like the downside of um, you know, like the downside of not including two cost cards except for this one in your deck just isn't enough to pull this to like kind of pull this card down. Is it strictly better than? Uh, the six mana four four version well no i mean there's different applications right like but one of those is seeing a lot of play and the other one saw no play so it's pretty clear to me that that same effect the giving you know giving uh all of these minions plus one plus one that's an instance of like power creep really really going hard yeah that that makes that makes perfect sense um yeah uh i don't i don't well what's what's uh do you think what, what's the uh kind of solution the there is there a solution here um i think uh there are a couple of different solutions um the first of them the most important one is the one that blizzard is already doing right having cards rotate in and out of a format i think that that's probably for the best um when it comes to um uh you know, keeping keeping power creep in uh, a modicum of, of check. Uh, the other thing that you can do when it comes to power creep is nerf stuff, right? You nerf piloted shredder, you nerf Prince Keliseth, right? You nerf Warsong Commander. Um, Hearthstone has done this in the past. They don't like doing this, obviously, um, because it devalues the value of cards that you, you know, that you gambled on in your loot boxes and everything like that. But it is like the, the premier option for dealing with power creep is obviously nerfing stuff. Uh, to kind of keep it, uh, to kind of keep it more in line. I think part of what makes power creep a thing is like uh, a discussion on balance in general, right? Like you want a balanced game, but when it comes to a card game, right, or when it comes to a game like League of Legends or a fighting game or whatever, um, is there ever a version of that game where the game is truly and like uniquely balanced, where there is no tier list of the best champions, the best cards, the best decks, the best fighters, right? Um, that can't be, you know, like where that can't be broken down and literally anyone can play literally anything and it's, and it is, and it is fully across the board balance. I tend to think that that's, that's I, like an ideal that is in, it's impossible to get, right? You can't, yeah. you can't ever attain that kind of thing, but it's like worthwhile kind of striving for it um, or whatever. Um, but there's also a certain set of things that kind of says, you know what? Power creep is good. Let's just lean into the power creep. Can you think of a do you, like do you, can you think of an, an example of that? So I I, I think kind of a, a thing to kind of recognize is, is this this I think is another extra credits argument that I'm going to summarize is that when it comes time to nerf or buff things it feels always feels much better to buff things, um, and so if you're in the habit of following the rule of buff before you nerf, you're by kind of your nature going to going to push up, um, push up things before you tear down things, right. and as a result your 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 average power levels going to go up um for a specific example off the top of my head of leaning into um leaning into power creep um the best thing i could think of off the top of my head is uh brawl minus which is uh granted a mod for super smash brothers brawl um but it essentially left meta knight and i think marth where they were and then boosted the power of everybody else up to up to up to marth's level 
uh, and Martha Midnight's Knights level to make to make it like a, a much crazier game. Right. Um, uh, which which uh, I personally had a lot of fun with that, but uh, um, I don't I don't I feel like it's less common like quote unquote real games development because it's kind of um hard to although although so so to 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 kind of put a point on this is actually kind of neat. Um, similarly. There was a, I think, believe it's called Rainbow Edition. It was a another mod for Street Fighter Two, um, and I know one of the later, which kind of gave everybody a bunch of crazy powers. Like I think Zangief, like on his spin, like shot out fireballs or something. It was it was meant to be not so, um, but I think one of the Hyper Turbo editions of Street Fighter Two has had like seven thousand different uh, re-releases. Yeah, actually. Not embrace the whole thing, but embrace some of those ideas, and that was that's always kind of touted as the example of like community involvement, kind of inspiring the real world. But but I think it works in this case too, where you can kind of lean into power creep to 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 make it work. Did you did you have a better example? See, my example is essentially basically any MMORPG ever, right? World of Warcraft, Destiny, right? Guild Wars, any of these games are definitionally games kind of about power creep. Right, it's just not something we think of as power creep because, like, we don't, we just don't frame it in those kinds of terms. But at the end of the day, they release new content that just ups the power level all the time. Sure. Right. Um, and that's kind of the, and so this kind of like the argument I, I, I have where it's kind of like people talking about power creep can be missing the point sometimes. Right. It's not universally a bad thing. It exists in other places. We just don't think about it. Right. Um, because that's you, you're kind of playing destiny or wow or whatever the case for the power creep in a lot of ways right uh, i feel like, i feel i feel like that's kind of like a mischaracterization of 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 what power creep is because like at the end of the day the numbers go up but in mmos it's not like it, it's what, what you talk about there is kind of the relative power of the classes to each other right and we don't see a lot of power creep um like or rather the like character progression in mmos isn't i, I don't think that really falls in, into kind of this power creep dynamic. I mean, maybe I could see an argument for like, I, yeah, I mean, sure, sure. I get it. And I understand that like power creep kind of by its nature has like a negative connotation, but the point I mean, I'm trying to make is that like power creep, like the, the, like uh, the essence of what power creep is, right? Like what is mechanically happening um, in a lot of, in a lot of instances is pretty much the same as character progression. Right. But the thing is when I'm opening up Hearthstone packs, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want that character progression in the same way that when I'm leveling a character in World of Warcraft. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I just mean that, like, the the mechanics are pretty similar. It's just kind of whether or not you're opting into that kind of an experience. I, uh, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, no, I, I, I get what you're saying, right? That, like, that there, there are some experiences where, like, gaining power over time is acceptable and and that's all fine but i think the primary the primary problem with power creep isn't necessarily the the kind of increased power on the more powerful end it's kind of the leaving behind of the other options in the past right no like, i mean right but but wow does that right i yeah at level 70 i can't complete the two right. sargeras raid right but the thing is in in you know in right, right, right. But, Magic but that's... gathering there's kind of an expectation that Essentially, what is the equivalent of that level 70 content being at a similar power level to that level 110 content, right? World of Warcraft is a game that doesn't care about it, so it just ratchets up 
the you know like but the power the, creep. So, so so progression is I don't know okay I'm, I'm gonna take a hard stand at this progression is not power creep right like <laughs> okay because because I, I think this argument is kind of ridiculous right it's not that when you level up you get more powerful right it's 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 not like you call hero champions leveling up in League of Legends power creep the problem would be is if Death Knight was strictly better than uh, Warrior because it was a newer class. Right or if Monk was a you know like it was a better class than something else, it's it's usually more soft than a strictly better than right. It's like a you know oh it has more tools oh it has more versatility or whatever, um and kind of the nature of making the new shiny thing better, um is is, is what the is what the cow is what the power creep is, right it it it's not leaving the old content behind it's leaving the old options behind. Like, people get mad in League of Legends, and usually it's talked about in terms of mobility creep, when, like, some of the less mobile older champions are no longer viable because um, there's been there's been an increase in, in, in mobility on the more recent champions, and so, and that's, like, a large part of the meta, so that those old champions get, le get left behind. Um, similarly, like, I, I think WoW has been very good about not hitting this level of power creep, right? Like, all the classes remain fairly balanced amongst one another. Um, sure, there are people that, that, that bitch, but, like, um, there's also not as much opportunity for power creep because there's not as many... There's not as many updates to kind of... Uh, to, to kind of, like, widen that gulf, right? Like, you need a constant influx of new content, like you get in a card game or in a MOBA that's constantly producing new heroes or, say, in a fighting game, which is constantly reducing producing new characters to kind of create this gap between what's new and what is old and for the old stuff to look bad by comparison. Hmm. Okay. I, th okay. That's, that's relatively com compelling. Uh, I think that especially, I mean, especially the, the beginning part where like if death Knight gets released, it doesn't out, it's not strictly better than warrior. I get that. I definitely, I definitely get that. I think to a certain extent, there's, there's, uh, the which is okay. I think to a certain extent, there's, uh, there are certain aspects of content that are continuing forward, right, and certain aspects that aren't, right. We don't continue forward the Burning Crusade raids, right, but we right. do continue forward the classes or whatever. In the same way that like we don't continue forward old card sets, and so like the idea that you know, um, uh. You know, I don't know. Some card is a newly released, better version of a much older card from a defunct set that's only in wild now. Isn't as big of a deal uh, compared to something in standard. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I felt really cute about that, like comparison. <laughs> I yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't quite buy it. Well, because but, I, you know, I because I think that it's it's kind of it's it's a worthwhile thing to kind of bring up because that line is hazier than it otherwise looks. Especially, I think when I'm kind of, to straw man a little bit here, uh, especially when I think about the ways that people have argued about power creep sometimes in the past, right? Uh, I I think you can uh, kind of like it, it can be unclear what kind of content is in which category, if that makes sense. I th I think so. I I I think I I think I follow you. Like I'm not gonna argue that people don't misuse the term power creep because I'm sure that they do, um, because everybody misuses everything at some point, um, uh, but I do. But like th th that is th that is to say that like power creep does exist in a lot of games, and I don't think that like like you said, it's not necessarily a bad thing so long as steps are taken to kind of bring up the, the the lower end of the average um 
like they do in League of Legends, right? Like they release yeah, yeah. uh old heroes. Um, not that I've played that game in a while, but uh, uh, hmm. um, I think it's also a hard thing to talk about because there's not a lot of games that kind of like live in a space where power creep is really even possible, right? MOBAs and card games are, but a lot of games don't release at a pace um, or to a degree uh, continuously that, that let it happen, right? Like it's, in, in order for Power Creep to, to, to really kind of like show its face, um, you need to be releasing fast enough that like minor increases in power kind of like fall by the wayside until you're like, you know, like, you know, a dozen updates out and you can see from there that you've left some pieces in the dust. Um, because otherwise it's not creep, it's just a power jump and people will probably notice it. Um, um, and, and so I, I think it's kind of a less widespread problem than you'd think because like PUBG doesn't have a lot of opportunity to power creep, right? Like, right. I guess you could say, like, gun the new guns that are coming in might be slow, slowly raising the power average, but they also don't come out super frequently. Um, uh, game Even games like Overwatch, which does still have active development and active stuff being put out there, the characters come out, like, not often enough, and things aren't revised often enough for, for that to be, I think, a, a, a huge concern. Um Hell, I, I, I'm having trouble thinking of something besides, like, a card game or, or a MOBA that, that has real power creep to it. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would be a little bit interested, I guess, to see some of, uh, to see some of this stuff. Uh, and, how, and how, like, you could do power creep in just, like, other games, right? Like, to what extent is it power creep in something like... Um, uh, total. I was thinking also about this as like an example. In Total War, the initial versions, uh, like the initial version of the game, had pretty like baseline. Uh, total War Warhammer had like pretty baseline mechanics for like the Empire and the Dwarves and everything like that. And over time, as they released the Beastmen, right, and Chaos and Warhammer Two, right, they they were they were able to add new mechanics, right, and new flavor to stuff, and right, and really like mess around with like kind of those systems, so that at a certain point, playing the Empire is kind of boring because essentially you kind of power crept there, but not and it's also yeah. a pve game so like how does that even ma you know like yeah is, is is it really power creep or is it just interest creep exactly right like i and it's hard to it's hard to it's yeah hard to say. i also think a big part of it too is that like you need to have not only kind of like the constantness of the iteration but also the constantness like the kind of like a bashing of heads against the gameplay to kind of draw it out right because i could see something like civilization having power creep as new civilizations are released but i don't know if play like like, yeah, there's some super competitive Civ players, but I don't know if that's normal enough to, for that to be a real concern for the developers. Right. Right? Like, like for, for like I know for Civ 5, with, like, the exception of, um, of Venice, even though there were power level differences, like, any, any, any civilization could reasonably be played, um, especially if you, like, enabled starting bonuses that yeah, kind of, like, flattened that out. Right, uh, and I know that, uh, and I know that there are... Uh, like tier list, like I have saved on my Reddit somewhere, right? Like a tier list of the different civilizations, right? Like if you want to do deity or whatever else kind of thing. Um, so people definitely think about this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I, I, I think, I think that highlights something, right? Like, it's okay for your game to be a bit unbalanced in the interest of trying out new things if you're not going a competitive route, right? Like, it doesn't matter if civilization is unbalanced because it's not like there's like esports riding on the line, right? It's not like the right. like like multiplayer Civ is fun, but at the end of the day, that doesn't make or break why that game is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar similarly with Total War, right? Like, um, it's you're never going to see that on like you know, the competitive integrity of Total War is not so important that having some races be more powerful than others is a real problem. And you know, right. if it's if it's kind of flagrant, there's kind of this this weird problem where like you know we're, we're like you're putting yourself through um, a tougher situation. There's always a decision that well, what's the um, there's an expression I think that the guys at Bungie use. It's like uh, players will always do the most efficient thing, even if it's even if it's the least fun thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I do. I know. I know what you're talking about. Um, and then that's got particular implications for like looting more than it does power creep. But I think that that's some that like I've seen these traps before, where like you figure out kind of like the cheap way to do something, and even though it's the less fun way to do it, you kind of feel like you know like um like Skyrim bosses, right? Like you know, if you shoot the boss from outside the room with the bow, he'll always reset. And, you know, maybe that's less compelling than jumping into the room and actually fighting him. But, but you know, it's like, much less dangerous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. Um, I think the best example I can think of this is in is uh, the mythic dungeons in World of Warcraft when it came to doing uh, uh, getting artifact power. Right, the best way to farm artifact power was to do mythic plus mob souls over and over and over again because it was the shortest dungeon and each of the dungeons gave the same amount of artifact power at the very end of it right so people would just grind it out until blizzard uh you know changed like changed the rewards to stagger um and scale uh with like time but yeah no i definitely i definitely understand that what the the principle that you're getting in i think that that's a part of it um uh the other question that i was that i have when it came to power creep is uh, because we're a tabletop podcast, to what extent do you think power creep is a problem in Pathfinder? Um, okay, so a problem is an interesting way to put it. Um, I think it's kind of definitely there. Um, and what I say, and, and for power creep, I mean kind of like you could tell with a lot of the later releases that like there's kind of like a format that they kind of settled into um, and got into, right? Like, Right. I, I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that, like, that fighters, are, in terms of interest creep, fighters are kind of, like, at the bottom end of it and maybe need, like, um, a hand up. Or, like, I th- actually, probably the, the most, the best way is that Arcanist is is a power corrupt wizard in a lot of ways. Um, uh, so much so that the 5e wizard looks a lot like the Arcanist. Um, and I think that... It's, I think it's less of a problem because everything happens at your table in, in Pathfinder, right? Like maybe you could make the argument that like in PFS, Arcanists cause a problem for wizards, but I think at your table, it doesn't really matter because a lot of that, uh, why, why are you laughing? Well, because I would make the argument that power creep doesn't exist in Pathfinder because of GM Fiat. Because okay. Zero. At the end of the day, like the very final balance decisions get made 
by the like by the GM, and that kind of means that yeah, like there is power creep in, in like if you run the rules as written right there is power creep inherent to to those rules definitely i'm, I'm with you 100 percent uh the best example i can think of is that one unarmed strike feat that just adds 1d4 bleed damage to all of your hits you know what i mean like it's just the most efficient feat out there right or we've had we've had discussions about this in the past about items right uh a, an item of shocking or whatever that just adds a flat 1d6 to all of your hits will basically always outperform every other weapon enchant out there um just because uh conditional weapon enchants uh just don't have good uh like don't have good rates of uptime to to match that plus 1d6 on every hit kind of thing um but uh but uh, but at the end of the day right like you can't run that system without a gm sort of thing um and that the gm will uh will always un you know like it, and, and that it is the gm's responsibility and the gm has the ability to right unpower creep something if the gm doesn't then he is just adopting the power creep of the system and not doing his job essentially so um, so I, i'm gonna does, then I don't know. I, so, so basically, you're making the same argument that I am, except that it's in a slightly different format. But I, 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 I also would say, by the way, PFS is its own is its own thing because GMs don't have the same kind of liability. But yeah. Right. yeah, um, I think it's fair to still hang some of that on the system, right? Like, I think in an I like ideally, you want your system to be able to be run without any GM fiat, right? Like, GM fiat is the catch all as a correction, not something that should be kind of relied upon, um. Uh, relied upon to fix a broken system, right? Like, I, I think you want a, a system that, that that's that's that, that's that's clean to begin with. See, I don't know that I think that that's true. I don't know that I think that man is the like. So, is the ideal version of Pathfinder one where the GM doesn't? Man, I don't know that. Wow. That's so, so, so it's not that it's not one where necessarily like so. The GM filling in holes is is fine and good and and well and whatever. But I think the I ideal version has like if you weren't trying to improve something with fiat, like if the system was perfect, you wouldn't need fiat to improve it, right? Like, hmm. Okay, I get. Okay, I get. I guess I get that. And you know, like, and uh, you know, on balance, I think it's probably. Better for Paizo or Wizards or whoever to experiment with things and maybe get it a little wrong and hang on GM Fiat to maybe fill in those holes. Um, that it's, it's more important for them to do that than it is to focus on making sure everything's perfectly balanced. So from that sense, I think um, kind of a, 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 you know, all things considered relying on GM Fiat a little bit isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, but, you know, ideally you'd get both, right? Like, you'd have great risks, you know, you'd have great new innovations that were perfectly balanced against old ones. So, um, so there's a certain amount of me that, that kind of says, uh, but, like, my default argument kind of against this idea was essentially that, like, the, the having GM Fiat as part, as, like, an ingrown part of the system, right, kind of allows Paizo to pull the gloves off a little bit and just throw everything in the blender, if that makes sense. Um and uh and go and go a little bit you know like go a little bit wild and crazy right um and i think that is 
and and I and I agree with that to a certain extent, right? Like at the end of the day, having something in there that's kind of like you know, as a GM, you're kind of responsible for balancing your own game to whatever that you know to whatever extent that may look like, sort of thing. Uh, it allows Paizo to kind of take its hand off the wheel and do more crazy stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, Paizo is really just giving you like rules to a system, and you can piece them together however you want, sort of thing. But I think that you know. I think that the kind of counter to that idea that I find compelling is the idea that kind of like the GM shouldn't have to, um, to a certain extent, a GM should not be expected to filter out mistakes on the hand of, on the hands of Paizo. And I would definitely characterize like Belial's bite that feat uh, as as a as like a power creep mistake. If that makes sense. Sure. No, no. Uh, I, and so I, I think absolutely. it's a little bit of a mix of both, right? On one hand, you kind of have like a, you know, take what systems you want. We're going to put everything out there. Uh, and you kind of, and you can filter at, at your own choosing. Um, and there are definitely like incredibly broken combinations of things. Um, if like the whole kitchen sink is kind of included as part of your game. Um, but, uh, but I also think that kind of, there's that like mistakes aspect in there, you know, uh, that that in, in a weird way it's kind of like both at the same time. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you, and I think Paizo's biggest problem um, is the kind of uh, lack of seasons to put it in a word. It's not exactly what I mean, but like the fact that the core rulebook is forever and always going to be the core rulebook until we get an addition change, I think is kind of part of the problem. Yeah. Um. Right. Like, like the oh, you know, change we got. What I thought were great updates to Barbarian, Rogue, um, Summoner, and Monk, right? Um, but the only thing that's supported is Unchained Summoner, because that was clearly to fix the Summoner mistake. And everything else was just kind of there. But no, very few people write Unchained X archetypes that aren't Unchained Summoner archetypes, um, which is really weird and kind of a loss to me, right? Like, and I get why they do it, right? Like, you don't want to invalidate the core rulebook um, in a lot of ways, um, right? Um, but I think that's kind of part. Of, like I think I think at some point you do want to invalidate the whole of the core rulebook, um, and kind of let that and, and kind of let those improvements shine through, right? Like replace all of the classes that were replaced in 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 Unchained with the Unchained variants, um, and maybe do updates to other things too, right? Like I think the the five E fighter is a spectacularly interesting kind of. Uh, kind of character with a lot of different cool tools to it um that i that I would love to see kind of backport or you know like um put into uh pathfinder in a way where it's core as opposed to being like either an archetype or something kind of hanging off of one of the newer martial classes right like brawler is a very interesting fighter in a lot of ways but it's uh you know it's 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 not quite exactly there um. Uh, do you follow me? I do follow you. I am on board with you. I'm thinking a lot about this in in in, in it because I think to a certain extent, man. I I don't know how you feel about Unchained. I think because what you're like the 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 end goal of what you're suggesting is kind of like instead of releasing Pathfinder Unchained, they should have just re like released like Pathfinder 2.0 and revised the core rulebook, right? But they didn't do that. Yeah, uh, honestly, or, or I, Pathfinder one point one, whatever you want to call it, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, uh, honestly, I, I think that that's what like I I want is like instead of like these major edition changes, we get kind of a more continuous update, like where you know the the hardbacks aren't afraid to kind of like tackle some of that 
stuff and put their stake in the ground that this is what this, you know, this is what's going to be the standard moving forward, right? Like, um, you know, if, if Unchained put its foot down and said, you know, every barbarian moving forward is going to be an Unchained barbarian, I think that would do wonders for kind of the, the, the ecosystem of the game. I, and I understand that that like fucks with kind of like the economy of the core rulebook and whatnot, but but I, I think you need something like that, um, and you know maybe the answer is to kind of do that with a quote unquote free upgrade to the core rulebook. I don't know, I, I don't know if I have a good solution for it, but I think that's the kind of thing you need in order to to, to allow it to keep growing, because um, at some point at some point you do have to put the brakes on the on, on the Pathfinder school bus and throw out a new edition and at that point you know there's just like you know eight years of splat that people are gonna be mad aren't there anymore um i don't know i think you need to break eggs at some point and i, I honestly think that doing it a little bit more continuously would be better for people uh in general hmm yeah yeah and i think to a certain extent you know like maybe there's a the because I think when you look at the history of people doing this, especially in the tabletop gaming space, right? Like, 3.5 is a really successful revision of those core rules. Well, right? Yeah, I was say, it's 3.5, right? Right, it's not, yeah, exactly. That's, like, that's the basis that Pathfinder kind of has. It's like, but I think, to, you know, like, maybe Pathfinder doesn't want to, like, admit that mistake. Or maybe they would want to try and create, like, two kind of simultaneous versions of things or maybe like because pathfinder society is so like integrated into pathfinder the system they don't want to like upset the status quo too much right like like for instance if pathfinder unchained is pathfinder 2.0 or pathfinder 1.5 or whatever you want to call it sort of thing um what is the dragons 3.82 yeah right like what happens to all of the rogues who now have a new you know to do do all of the pathfinder society rogues have to rebuild their characters from scratch because of the way that unchained dealt with rogues right like like maybe that's a question that they just didn't feel super prepared to answer and yeah. i also think that you know like pathfinder as like uh or sorry paizo as a company like is paizo a company like big enough um to kind of support those kinds of giant shakeups to the status quo this is probably what where um i think like like companies like wizards of the coast and paizo who are putting out tabletop games are kind of both at their like coolest but also their most vulnerable because like at the end of the day they're not selling you a game they're selling you game systems with like the piece missing and that final piece is the gm who kind of you know slots in um but that means that you kind of can't sell a lot of you know like it's tougher to sell game content than it is to sell game systems and so you get up selling systems and systems and systems and systems um, and you kind of end up in the spot where Pi's, where Pathfinder is at now, where there are, you know, tens of thousands of pages printed on what the Pathfinder system is in its entirety, uh, and that's kind of, like, in, you know, insurmountable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, spe especially Pathfinder, right? Like, uh, the, uh, like... Uh, smaller games, and even 5e, because 5e releases, like, not that many books in the first place, um, you know, there's not, if, if you were to switch to D&D &D 6e right now, I think people would be a little bit less aggravated, because it's, like, five books total that are being replaced, whereas, yeah. uh, D&D, &D, uh, whereas, like, Pathfinder, that's, like, what, like, how long, how many years been up for, like, eight years? Eight times... 12 times like three product lines right it's like it's like 
over fucking uh, 200-ish splat books um, that, that are suddenly invalidated, which is, you know, fairly, you know, in fairness, a fair chunk of change that, that people have invested, that they have a right to be angry about being invalidated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, then that kind of, like, adds the, like, the next question, which is Starfinder, just released, we're both playing it, and they're, and they're including new stuff all the time, to what extent do you think power creep is going to be a problem with Starfinder, right, like, have, has Paizo learned its lessons, right, like, is it, is it in more capable hands, is the, 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 the foundation of the, uh, of the system in a better spot? Um, I, I think kind of in a word. Yes. Um. First of all, they get, they've got a lot of room to grow before some of these things come in, right? Like, they're not releasing at the pace that the Pathfinder does, um. So there's not as much splat, um. And they've also got a lot more to build on, right? Like, there's it's much easier to write an equipment book for for Starfinder than it is for Pathfinder, um. Because Pathfinder, right? Like weapons, you know, you get like one version of the weapon and then you multiply it by every other kind of modifier that's been printed. Whereas you've got 20 levels of whatever to work with. Right. So you could, like, fill a whole book with just, like, you know, dwarf axes or whatever um, and call it a day. Um, and that's not to, to, to besmirch that. It's just kind of like, you know, there, there's just a lot more room to grow outwards. And also I think the system is built to be a little bit less uh, creepy in a lot of ways, right? Like, um, everything's kind of built on more uh, on a larger kind of... Uh, uh, on, on a more consistent framework that you see a lot of the later Pathfinder classes with, right? Like right. a lot of a lot of them have these kind of like pseudo talents, um, plus whatever, and you you, you can easily broaden you can broaden the ones that exist without introducing a lot of power creep, and you can also add new ones in kind of the same vein. Um, while match, I, I think matching that power level will be easier. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, again, I also I, although I do think the single biggest thing is that. Um, power levels are going like, um, or rather that they're not printing as fast. <laughs> so, so I actually think that the biggest thing is, uh, is maybe, maybe I'm kind of making an argument, uh, like I'm talking myself into an argument that like power creep is a structural thing that's built into the very foundation of a game. Right. Um, and that unless you make structural changes, it's very hard to combat power creep in, uh, in like a direct sense. But I think that by, I think that when I compare Pathfinder to Starfinder, um, the power, oh, excuse me, uh, the power creep potential of Starfinder is less because I think the foundation is better. Um, like, so for instance, Pathfinder has a problem with mundane weapons, right? Where mundane weapons are all essentially level one weapons that need to compete against one another, if that makes sense. Uh, Starfinder doesn't have that problem. You can make an insane variety of weapons because there's a whole matrix of 20, 20 different levels in that, you know what I mean? So like, right. so for instance, something that 4E did that I actually liked a lot and I kind of wish that they had brought back, uh, to a certain extent, um, or that, that was more integrated was like, there were different identities to carrying an ax, a sword, or a mace, right? A mace had the highest base damage, right? Typically 2d6 stuff. Uh, an axe had the best critical damage, right? Times three multiplier, 
or, you know, whatever, whatever else that kind of looked like. And the sword gave you an accuracy bonus, right? So it was, you hit more often with a sword than you did with a mace or an axe, right? And that sort of trifecta of how those three kind of uh, looked, right? It meant that you could have a great sword, a great axe, and you know, a Warhammer, all at the same relative level, but they all have their own kind of identities. Um, but they're all purchased at level one. Well, now you can have that same kind of diversity in weapons, but for every item level going up, right? Until you, until you get to a point where you just have like hundreds of different items, I guess. And they're just like incrementally different. Uh, and some people might call that tedious or something. I mean, you know, I I guess maybe looking at these, you know, insanely huge item item level tables in three years might suck. Uh, but I actually think that that's pretty cool. You know, like I think that that's pretty neat. Um, and I like the idea of being able to find, you know, uh, like, like in Starfinder, they have all the different, um, they have critical effects, right? They have different energy types, right? They'd have different types of like firing, right? You know? And so I like the idea that I would be able to specifically find a frost based blast, you know, shotgun, uh, at, in the level four range. Uh, I think that, I don't know. I feel like, I think that that is probably the biggest thing that they've done to kind of standardize and build a good foundation that won't see power creep in the future. Because I think to a certain extent, power creep comes about when people kind of fill in all of the holes. Right. And when you have, okay, well I have my war, I have my, I have my ax, my sword and my hammer. Well, what does a spear do? Right, you know, like those kinds of questions become harder to answer, um, because there's just not enough like room, design room for that. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I also think I also agree with you when it comes to the talent things. Right, like it's much easier to balance ongoing classes. I feel like um, when uh, you have this kind of baseline talent pool identity right we're not going to get into a situation where nobody wants to play a vanilla fighter you only ever want to play an archetype because the archetypes you know or like nobody ever wants to play or you know like you you want you want to adopt into archetypes to min max yourself sort of thing because all of those kinds of decisions in starfinder get made on the talent level right like archetypes just literally don't work the same way they do like they do in pathfinder yeah. um so maybe i don't know maybe that's that's better i think i think power creep will always kind of uh, exist um, in one form or another, even in the most minor of spaces. Um, oh sure. So, um, in fact, it, 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 yeah, I mean, because it's it, you know, it's just another term for kind of it, like it, it falls under the overall thing of balance, and there is no such thing as true balance, right? And so, you know, there will there will never be such thing as no power creep. I feel like in a game. Yeah, absolutely. I actually think that the. The, the place that you might see it the most in Starfinder is with uh, the races, because they, they, in a very nice touch, are very gung-ho about adding new races, um, which I think is really cool. But I think it's also the place where you'll see, like, slowly they'll run out of kind of, like, ways to, to kind of, like, uh, mechanically yeah. identify things um, and need to add some new stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. I think that that's... Um, uh... A fun aside, um, our Starfinder group... Uh, has two large characters in it, and boy, those initial maps have a lot of five foot wide hallways in them. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've always thought that was the real tough part about making uh, like large characters playable. I always liked the rules uh, that were maybe it was like 
I don't know that Paizo did this. Maybe it was third party. Um, with their, you could play a Goliath, which was like a ten foot tall dude, but he occupied five feet of square. That, like, that yeah, was he, that was a 4E that you had like large traits. Um, right, 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 right. And yeah, yeah. So you were so you like you were considered large for kind of everything else, but like you only you were only in a five foot square, which I thought was great. I actually think that there's there's a lot of room uh, for Paizo to butts with I, I try and do this a little bit um like for instance uh you know they, i guess they have like 10 foot long um rather than like 10 by 10 for like a tiger or something like that i kind of wish there was more of that like irregularity in size rather than just everything goes up by by the square yeah no i, I it's just kind of harder to harder to to, to deal with yeah definitely um, and a lot of things do kind of fit into that square kind of like like you know, giants should probably be two by two. Um, um, I I think I think Starfinder can get away with large creatures easier because it's not as because it's not excuse me as much of a melee focused game. Large creatures don't have like there's a lot of advantages that large creatures just kind of get in Pathfinder because it's a very melee focused game, um, and it has a lot of effects. Whereas most of those effects are stripped out in Pathfinder, um, and also not as present because it's mostly at range. Uh, so, um, the biggest thing is those five foot hallways, uh, which you can still squeeze down. It's just kind of annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know because I've never played it, but it, I'm sure, I don't know. I'm sure I agree with you. Um, if you were to give, you know, I guess anyone, like, like, if you were to give someone advice about how to avoid power creep, right? Like, what, what, what would you do? Do you think? Um, if you're the type of person that should be listening to two dudes ranting on their podcast, I would say, don't worry about it. It probably doesn't matter to you for your game. Um, design your game well, and and you know, don't care about that. And I like, I oh like, uh, yeah, I, so I, I mean a little bit in the like the RPG space. Oh, in the okay. imagine so imagine Jimmy, you know, the, Jimmy's a new time GM, right? He's on the podcast and he's like, yeah. "Hey man, you know, I haven't I haven't GM before. How do I how do I dodge the power creep issues in Starfinder and Pathfinder?" You know what I mean? Like to um, what extent do you think a, a GM uh, should futz with those systems? Uh, I think uh you know, it's it's there's a lot of similarity there too. Um I think you know, you kind of I think you want a light touch, but you want a light touch while, like, you, you don't necessarily want to tackle it out of the gate. Unless unless you see something, like, kind of, like, systematically wrong that you want to adjust that, like, you know, like, you know, you know like, band synthesis summoner, right? Like, that makes sense to me, or, or something along those lines. But for the most part, um, power creep can, in some ways, help balance out your game, right? Like... If you've got a more powerful class on a less powerful player, then you shouldn't touch it, right? You should just let it ride because that'll kind of balance out your party in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I think a lot of these decisions should be made more in flight. Um, and you know, this, is, this, this goes back to uh, a thing that the Angry GM talks a lot about is um, one of the most important parts of playing a tabletop game is picking your players, um, and so that it's fun for everybody. And, and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being like a super hardcore power gamer, but if that's the thing that you don't want to deal with and you don't want to act with, you have to either have your players understand that 
you know, over-the-top power gaming is not something you should be looking to do in this game. And if you don't think they can handle it, then they shouldn't be part of that table. Um, and I, th I, I, th I think those are much more um, cogent ways to deal with the problem than it is trying to trying to do anything overarching with, with, with the power levels as they stand at the beginning uh, looking outwards. Okay, cool. I get that. Um... What's your advice for... for I, you know, I, I think the big thing is... Because hmm, I agree with you. I think keep it simple stupid is kind of like a, a, like a baseline. Um, and especially because, like, no... You know, like... Um, so, like, there's a, there's a saying in music composition, like, music theory, that no composer will ever... Uh, or, like, I'm sorry, no conductor will ever play the same piece of music exactly like any other conductor because their heartbeats are different, right? Which is kind of like a really bad saying now that I say it out loud for like everyone is different and everyone has a unique perspective on how stuff will go down, right? Right. Um, and so I think to a certain extent, like you need to, I, you need to be pretty confident in your decisions about how things will affect the game and right, like your game design know-how uh, in order to make those kinds of changes. And then the other half of it is that you need to be, be strong on your documentation, um, where you have yeah. to be, you know, consistent and you need to, you're right. Like, like the, the, like, like Mark's games typically include a lot of custom rules. Um, and you know, that can have its own problems. You know, Mark isn't the most, I mean, my games have this, right. I'm not the most amazing game designer out there sort of thing. Uh, but as long as you are consistent about the rules and telegraph them to your players, uh, and make sure that everyone is on the same pace place, uh, is on the same pace. Uh, with how the um, uh, how the rules all break down, I feel like you will be able to dodge power creep issues um, in your games as they come out. I also think that it's important to be aware of kind of like when problems exist and when they don't, right? You know, like if it's not broke, you don't want to fix it maybe. Uh, yeah. Which I think is awful advice because my thing is like if something can be improved, you you should improve it, you know. Um, but like, you know, like you gotta, it's, it's a balance, right? Like you don't want to want to go in there with like a ratchet and fucking try and fix Pathfinder single handedly. Um, because you might just kind of drown everything in being custom. Right. Yeah. Um, um uh, the, the, the other part of that too, is that like, there are moving parts, like it is very hard to like twist um, you know, like twist one lever and have it only affect things locally. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest trap. Um, especially again, if, if you have somebody who's like, even somebody who's not malicious, right? Like we've all, I, I, I can think of a couple of times where like someone has taken Mark's lever twisting and tried to like break it. Um, uh, but even, even not maliciously, right? Like the kind of natural consequence of your, piddling with the rules um either leads somebody to who naturally optimizes to hit it or somebody who's kind of like working within the system as it's kind of written to suggest certain things to kind of handicapped or boost themselves without realizing it right like to give an mm -hmm. example um in mark's first attempt at the rune lords campaign um uh my character was built around a lot of sundering but he was also built around a lot around kind of like standing still and controlling the space around him but mark took out a lot of kind of the base attack of opportunity rules and required like a level uh he called it engaging like you had to like 
hit somebody to be able to take AOs against them. And so that really kind of nerfed what my character was set to do because he couldn't just stand in place and kind of control the space around him. He had to hit something in order for that to work. Right. Um, and that was not a thing that I, I, I anticipated. And so um, I, don't, and I don't think that was – that was not his intent with that rule change. Um, and not, you know, not, not that that's on, on him for, for, for necessarily breaking it that way, but you, 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 you have to kind of like understand that if you change something, there's probably going to be unintended consequences that you're going to have to deal with later down the line. Um, probably the best way I can put it. Yeah. 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 I guess, uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's power creep. How, uh, fuck. How was your week? I guess. Uh, well, um, couple things. I just got back before recording this from seeing, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, which was, uh, a lot of fun. It was excellent. I would even go so far as to say, um, it is, uh, it, it kind of occupies, like, like, one of the best things about the movie is the style. Um, the way it kind of breathes and the way it kind of, like, is a movie, right? Like, it's, mm. it's, uh... In, 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 uh, some of the same, like, not the same ways, but like, um, kind of like how, like, a musical exists in its own kind of world that plays by its rules. Um, while it's not a musical, Murder, Murder of the Orient, Ori on the Orient Express clearly, like, works on, like, movie rules. Um, and is not shy about, like, like, kind of, like, brushing up against that. Um, and, uh, I think, I thought it was delightful. Uh, is probably the best way to put it. I highly recommend um, other big thing is Curse of Osiris came out, and I did a bunch of that, but we're probably going to talk about that more in detail later. Um, but there was a thing I wanted to bring up with that, um, and, uh, this is kind of like a more philosophical point, uh, but, um, with the release of Curse of Osiris, uh, the, the raid, um, had its power level upped, uh, to about 300, to a point where essentially if you don't own the expansion, it's either very hard or near impossible to play the raid um, anymore. How, how do you feel about that? Uh, feels pretty bad. I think locking that kind of content behind DLC sucks to a certain extent. Uh, but also, I feel like expansions are natural. I, You know, when Battle for Azeroth comes out, I'm not going to be able to raid the Battle for Azeroth raids. Um Right, but by you, the expansion, but, but uh, you I don't will know, be just... you will be able to raid to raid Tomb of Sargeras, though. Oh, the Leviathan raid. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they up. Wow, the that sucks. Yeah, that they really up the sucks. base power on 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 Leviathan, especially because it came out so soon. I mean, you know, quote unquote soon or whatever. But like, dude, the fucking game just came out. Yeah, I mean, and wow, that's insane to me. Like that's insane. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. No, I and I get why they kind of did it, right? Like, they did it because like there's not enough content in kind of general for them for there not to be a high end raid, um, for for your your players to play. Um, I don't know. I, I think Destiny's in a weird place because what I really think, what I really think is happening, um, and I get turned back and forth because um, kind of in a word, I don't think Curse of Osiris is a really kind of rich expansion or anything. I, th I think it's kind of severely lacking from that point of, from the point of view of an expansion. I have no idea what's in it, so I could Yeah. Is there but, a new class? Is there... No, are there... no. There's like a short new story. So basically, just to kind of put it out in a word, if 
Destiny charged you $15 a month, and this was like a numbered patch, I think it would be fine. Okay. But because it's packaged as DLC, I think it aggravates people more, right? Like, yeah. you know, maybe that doesn't justify the way that things have gone down, but, like, I can't help but draw those comparisons in my mind because as a piece, as a thing that you call an expansion, Curse of Osiris is pitiful. But as, like, a thing that's supposed to kind of, like, push development and, like, you know, kind of, like, pay for the uptime of what is ostensibly kind of an MMO, it feels less bad. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. I understand why people are very aggravated with it. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like an optics thing more than kind of, you know what I mean? Like, they called it the wrong thing, essentially. Um, yeah. Um, and, but, but, and I don't want to, like, I, that, that's not trying to, like, let them off the hook or anything right, like right, that. Right. But, you know, it definitely sounds like that's the case. I don't know, man. I'm surprised more play. I mean, if I was if I was a, a producer at an MMO, you know, like game company, right? I feel like I would look at the success of Final Fantasy fourteen and the and the success of WoW, and I would say, you know what? Maybe subscription models are not as dead as we thought. Let's bring it back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think part of that is going to be is is the fact that this is a console first game, and um, like I don't I don't think that there's as much tolerance for for that on the consoles. Um, especially yeah, from like the, the console crowd they're trying to capture. Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, I, I, it's weird to me cause I think that this game probably should have just like the only thing you could have bought for this game is the version with the season pass. Like I, I, I can almost think that would be a better solution. And you know, the problem is, is that nobody wants to push that $60 envelope. Um, and hell maybe they should, maybe that's wrong too. Right? Like maybe, maybe. They should, they should have been providing this content for free. Um, but, you know, there's a level of, like, stuff there, you know, stuff there that I can't know that you can't know about, like, the development costs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it feels to me that this that this expansion and the next one, too, are, are basically mandatory for playing Destiny. And if that's the case, then the base product shouldn't be sold without it. Yeah, okay, I get that, yeah. And it's also tough for games like Destiny, you know what I mean? I think that the standards that we as, you know, gamers um, uh, expect, um, you know, I just think it's it's tough for Destiny to fulfill that. I'm basically, you know, like, not that I'm super done with Destiny. I will probably, you know, save up WoW Gold and buy Curse of Osiris at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, I ju- you just compare the kind of entrenched content that's in a game like World of Warcraft or any of the other MMOs, yeah. you know, the Old Republic, right? Even 14, which launched four years ago, right? It's just, you know what I mean? Like, you got to make up all that time to be competitive kind of thing. And you have to be insanely polished. And it's even harder for Destiny to be insanely polished because, like, I don't think Destiny gets to be as cartoony as some of these other ones, right? Like, WoW is a very cartoony place with a cartoony aesthetic um, compared to something like Destiny, which wants to be really, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, realistic, right? Like... That, that well, takes time. Yeah, not only that, but, like, just kind of, like, you know, hit hit boxes don't matter as nearly as much in WoW as they do in, in Destiny, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I can hit my button and and have, like, the animation play and it be, like, 
you know, six feet off the side of the dragon that I'm punching, but it still goes through. And that, that doesn't cut it in, 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 a, in a video game. Yeah, exactly. Shooter, and, you can, and you can have those animations, right? And we all kind of take it for granted, right? I swing. It doesn't connect the dude, but who ca You know, like, who cares, right? Right. Mechanically, we all know that that connected in the swing is just kind of, like, flavor for that or whatever. But in Destiny, you don't have that same kind of option. I think WoW gets away with it because it is, you know, it's, like, it's cartoony. And, uh, and it is more of, like, an RPG where these kinds of things are... Uh, uh, tolerated, right? But, like, I feel like if we saw the same sort of things happening, like, the animations have to be smooth from these guys. Um, you can't have them kind of turning on, you know, uh, on a dime in a way that doesn't make any kind of sense, um, right? Like, if I rotate around a boar in World of Warcraft and it just kind of rotates on its axis and we all understand that it's not actual, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. not moving its hooves in a way that's rotating. Well, Destiny is actually pretty pretty good at, right, like, showing you the dudes as they move, right? They have animations yeah. for when I get a, get a headshot on a Cabal Trooper in midair, right? But, like, those kinds of things, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's hard. It is hard, I think, yeah. for Destiny to, uh, to, to meet that. Um, and it sucks that they haven't, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, I mentioned this in, in, in kind of the, in, in, in our Destiny cast, but, like, I, I do think that Destiny is kind of the victim of the, of kind of, like, the, the success of the other MMOs. Right. Um, uh, um, and honestly, like, to, to go back to my further, my previous point, I don't think it w I'd have as much of a problem of them selling the base game separate from the season pass if they didn't do things like this, where you take away content from the people that haven't bought the expansion. Right. Um, yeah, very... man, that's rough. I I really misunderstood that because I was about to kind of be like, well, that doesn't seem like a huge problem, kind of like whatever. Yeah. Kind of thing. But even then, I was actually kind of willing to get on Destiny's case because, dude, it's been three fucking months. You know what I mean? Like, look, at the end of the day, if we were, you know, like if we were moving into Battle for Azeroth and I, as a Legion player, wouldn't be able to do any of the Battle for Azeroth content without that expansion, fair enough. You know what I mean? Fair fucking enough because I didn't, you know, like I didn't buy it. And I got two years of Legion content coming at me sort of thing. But, like, m man, two months after the release of a full-priced $60 game, right, they're releasing the first expansion for it and invalidating all of that content. Like, god damn, that's a lot. Yeah. Man, I, it's crazy. I, I, think, I think that's, like, that kind of, like, bites at the root of it, too, is the problem isn't also necessarily the increasing content. It's the fact that it, like adds five levels and 30 light levels that's only accessible through the through the dlc and i think i think that's the real sin right like if it was just another area i think it would be less of a problem than kind of like the access to like the the increased power levels um like i bet you could probably get away like Bungie could probably get away with this if they gave everybody the increased level and the increased power levels without uh and, and just like cut off like the mercury content from uh from from uh from normal players right um oh. i don't know but uh otherwise i played um i played like since we last talked since we did the last one of these segments since we we skipped last week i played some lumo i played some flint hook i played some the end is nigh um and those are all neat little games i'd give them like if, if you like have like neat indie game indie platformers i check out all three of them uh lumos more of like a like a an old like almost like a like a specky level um uh platformer adventure game flint hooks a roguelike 
Um, that's got some problems, but it's still fun to fun to screw around with. It's like a, mm. a shooter with a grappling hook, and it, it's, it's a neat game. End is Die is a super hard platformer from the creator of Super Meat Boy, so, you know, it's basically that, again, but with, like, a different thing on it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but the game I want to talk about for a little while is called Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. Have you heard of this, buddy? No, no, I haven't. All right, so this is, like, a newish, a new, it, it's a new game. It came out, like, I think, like, yesterday. But it is definitely a, uh, uh, it, it's, a it's, it's a meme game in a lot of ways, and it's meant to be frustrating in a lot of ways, but I also think it's kind of brilliant. So, um, what it is, is, is you play a man who's, like, bottom half of his body is in a cauldron, and he's holding, like, what looks like a sledgehammer, and he has to climb a mountain by, like, moving with the sledgehammer. Basically, the head of the sledgehammer follows your, your mouse, it was okay. kind of like rotated around and climb up things. Um, it is incredibly frustrating at times. Um, it is, um, it is uh, kind of a love letter to a, a old freeware game called Sexy Hiking, which is basically the same kind of thing, but which with worse graphics and kind of like, you know, meant to be like a, a, a like a very much a B game. And while you're playing this game, the creator narrates about kind of like what's up with like this kind of game, like the B games industry and kind of like how things are going. And it's like this really neat musing. And every time you fuck up and end up losing a bunch of progress that you made, uh. it like plays either a quote that's about failure or like plays like a song. And it's like the frustration, like the, one of the earlier quotes is about like every time I made something and I thought that it was too hard, I couldn't bring myself to make it easier, and that kind of set what this game was was and is and was always going to be, which is incredibly frustrating. Um, uh, and like the, I think the game page says like don't play this game unless you want to be frustrated. Uh, uh, it's uh, the the tagline is a game I made for a certain kind of person to hurt them, um, and it is so kind of incredible in this weird way I, I i i don't i don't know why it's grabbed me so much but like i have had more thought like basically as i'm like trying to like hammer my way up this fucking mountain right. and listening to him talk about like about like b games like i basically like went through a whole thought like you know i you know i went through a whole thought thing about like walking simulators and what my like essential problem with is with them and then like you know i'm slamming down this hammer into the ground and launching myself into the air to grab on the next ledge as i'm like you know resolving in my mind like these different like musings on games and i don't know it was incredibly cathartic in a way and incredibly kind of thoughtful in this like weird way because because you kind of can't, like, just play it in the background. You need to have some attention on it. But it's mm -hmm. not so much that you can't be doing something else with your mind. So, I don't It, it was... I don't know. It's, it's an experience I'd highly recommend. It. It's, like, eight bucks. I'm surprised that you recommend it so highly. When I have experiences like that, I tend to think of it as being bad. This is a thing not holding my attention. Right? You know, like... So, like, for, you know... I've talked about this for, like, WoW and Diablo. And, like, Hearthstone is like this for me now where I do it. But I'm also, like, watching Parks and Rec on my other screen kind of thing or whatever. Uh, but, like, for a narrative game like that, you know, like, I, I, I mean, and, and, like, if if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all this other stuff, isn't that just me? This happens to me with movies more than with games, to be honest with you. Like, I'm in a movie and I'm like, man, I wonder what they could have done to make this, like, a, like a, a different movie and then i think about you know whatever and then i realize i've like missed five minutes because i've just kind of been daydreaming about it you know what i mean yeah so 
here here's the thing, right? Like I, I have a, like those games that I just the other games I mentioned. Those are the type of games I play while I listen to podcasts, and that's because right. they rest like very heavily on their mechanics. Right. Um, this game too rests very heavily on its mechanics. Right. They're frustrating mechanics, but they are mechanics. It's climbing up the mountain with this fucking hammer, um, and you know every time you make a little bit of progress, there's a quote. There's like a little piece of text to be that gets spoken that's to be understood and explored and mused over. Um, but then inevitably you're going to fuck up and launch yourself down the mountain and you're going to get a a, uh, a quote about failure and then you're going to spend another 10 minutes getting back to where you were before you get the next piece. And yes, it's a frustrating experience, but that's part of what this game is trying to evoke. And so it's in that 10 minutes of regaining where I am that I kind of like get lost in these thought bubbles. Um, and I can't put on a podcast because I don't want to miss the next quote whenever I trigger it because that's kind of a very interesting part of this game to me. Um, and also the kind of mechanics of getting over it are a little bit more that I have to think about. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a unique experience that I haven't felt anywhere else. And I don't really, like, I can't even say it about sexy hiking, which was, you know, I downloaded that game to, to check it out. Um, that game is just pure frustration. Um, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, interesting i get that i get that um i do want to spend a little bit of time in this section uh talking about uh two episodes back we did ultimate wilderness and um uh i want to issue this isn't like a correction but it's like kind of like a correction you saw this because in one of our facebook chats i had like a not like a meltdown about it but i just like i i had this thing in my brain i had like a temper tantrum because i i i was it had been bugging me that i didn't explain this idea properly Right. And I want right. to explain this idea properly. Right. So um, in that podcast, I talked a little bit about, um, you know, we were talking about the exploration rules. And I was like, oh, the exploration rules are excellent. Right. And I think uh, that, you know, if you're going to run it, you should run it in isolation. Right. Like from from other rules. What I mean to say by that is you run it in isolation from a traditional narrative. This is not a mechanics. This is not a mechanical engine. Right. Like the reason that these mechanics mechanics are cool is not from like a mechanical side of things. It's from a narrative side of things. Right. Typically. Typically, the narrative engine is, you know, you run through some story and you get, like, like breadcrumbs to other bits of the story and you run piece by piece by piece. It's, that's that's how, that is the engine behind linear, nor, like, like, linear narrative storytelling, right? But the thing is, with these exploration rules, what you want to take advantage of is that it's giving you a different kind of engine to fuel your narrative, specifically by putting that in the hands of the players, right? You create, essentially, a sandbox for them to play play around with and they create their own narrative it is creating its own narrative engine right uh, that allows your players to kind of uh, uh uncover stories naturally in a way that's kind of like walking you know like in skyrim or whatever you walk into a town and there's a bunch of people there and you start talking to people and you pick up some quests or whatever um and uh and like and that's how you know like that is the that's the storytelling that happens in skyrim right those quests are pre-programmed or anything but the rate at which they are discovered and how your players interact with them right those are the things that you're trying to replicate with the system uh in in ultimate wilderness and i wanted to explain i just wanted to take a second to explain that like the big benefit here is you completely take out any kind of linear narrative storytelling impulses you have right and you create a complete completely new right like 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 you could a, a new set of fuel for your narrative engine that functions completely differently 
Um, which is what I thought is so cool about it, and I, and I wanted to explain that a little bit. Yeah, more. no, and I, we, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, but I think that you don't have to necessarily abandon everything, right? Like Skyrim still has its main quest. I still think you can have that in this kind of, in this kind of game. It's just like not necessary. Like it, it probably shouldn't be something that's too urgent, like mm -hmm. story-wise. Um, you know, like if like your main quest for like this exploration guide is like you were sent by like you know the queen of you know fantasy Spain to map out the new world or whatever. I think that kind of serves well enough to kind of like get all of that, you know, and, and you know, there's little points of, of, along there about that. I, I think that all yeah. kind of works. I actually think, um, to be honest with you, uh, that the best way or the coolest way to do this is to link it to something, um, that is kind of narrative, but like, uh, so, so the best example I can think about this is, uh, do you remember how Jimmy's character in Rise of the Rune Lords had, like, this Thalassian, whatever it was, yeah, um, yeah. Thessalonian, uh, like, like he was like a Thessalonian researcher? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I think you want to make it a mystery, you, like, you make it a mystery revolving around that, right? You are all Indiana Jones, and you're searching for the Ark of the Covenant, and you know that it's somewhere in this huge valley that you've, like, mapped out or whatever, um, and, uh, and, you know, you, you kind of need to put the pieces together to, 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 to find it. Right. Uh, the point, the, the point that I'm making is that you don't, you're, you're not going to write breadcrumbs from session to session to keep people on the, like the railroad, essentially, if that makes right. sense. Um, you're just going to have kind of stuff that like reflects back into whatever your larger goal is, right? You're discovering stuff and you're doing stuff or whatever. And then, oh, here's a clue, right? That has... I don't know, whatever, like a three, you know, a three digit number that's related to, 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 to the end goal. Right. And then somewhere completely different, you find another three digits and then somewhere completely different, you find, you know, a place to put in your six digits and then you go back there. You know what I mean? Like, like that, those kinds of things, I think that kind of like almost kind of like narrative as puzzle in a way is, is right where all of this kind of stuff belongs. Yeah. I, I, I think that. I think that absolutely works. We also got a fantastic bit of feedback uh, from our friends uh, at the Minute uh, podcast. John Ward tweeted at us and said, uh, I like the idea of an environment slash biome specific character. If the team needs a water person because there's a crazy river, they need to cross over and over. But 70% of the time, you're just trying to figure out how to compensate creatively on land. Player and DM need some awesome like yes and in like the, the, like the improv sort of sense. Uh, what do you what do you what do you think about this idea, right? Like a character that is like hyper specialized because you know here's a river we're gonna need to cross over it a bunch of times, and so I know that I'm gonna get some use out of it. That, but like there's a whole lot of other space where I know I'm going to be definitionally suboptimal. Um, so I I think that can work if you know that you're like that requires an, enough knowledge ahead of time and kind of like a, an implicit guarantee that like that character isn't ever going, like, is it, like, you know, he's, he's going to have his time to shine, he's going to have his time to, like, not shine, but that, like, it's, you know, if that campaign ever for, like, a book moves away from that river, I think that that's unfair to that player in a lot of ways, um, because you kind of have to go into that knowing that, that, you know, that, that that river is always going to be, like, there's always going to be the opportunity for something good to happen there, um, that or you kind of have to have the, be that that be true for all of your characters, um, so that like you can pull them all, if you pull them all out of water so that they're you know like you, you pull them all out of their element, they're all equally kind of, uh, you know not, uh, not great because because 
I know the, the danger there is, is that like you have a character who's specialized, who's away from his specialization for too long, and his character just kind of pales in comparison to the rest of the characters, and that that kind of uh, sucks. Although if um, you know, we, I didn't get a chance to interrogate John about like the basis of this point. I could also see him see, see this be going in the way of like you know, Riverman has to figure out how to apply his river powers to these other situations and that's kind of like a creative exercise. And I think that's, I think that's cool. I think that that could work. I think that could be really fun if you had the right type of player and GM. Um, but yeah, I, def I, I definitely love that idea. Um, especially from like, uh, from like, uh, you know, like I've always loved like Rangers and shit like that. Like, I think it's cool to say, to kind of like say like, Oh, well I'm a Ranger. Like, can I pick the desert favored terrain? And the GM is like, yeah, you know, like books two and three are all in a desert. Sort of. right. You know what I mean? Something like, along those lines where it's like, okay, well, maybe for the first book I'm not very useful. But like in the next one, right, like that's when I come into my own sort of thing. I think that kind of stuff is very neat. I, I think a big part of this too is that it really kind of struggles on flat bonuses and really can work better with kind of like cool things you can do in this biome otherwise that maybe you can kind of like shoehorn your way into other things right so like something like branch pounce or yes. whatever or like having a swim speed i guess maybe if that yeah, makes sense. Uh, swim speed's a little bit dicier but like you know branch pounce i think is perfect right like favorite terrain uh forest when you're not in a forest you're not getting your plus two and that's kind of boring to try and like shove into like an urban environment but like branch pounce right you usually do that off of trees uh but you know Maybe you do it in the city off of an eve. Yeah. And the, the yeah, feat's yeah. written so that that works. But I could imagine, like, brachiation, right? Like, the ability to swing through the trees like like a monkey, right? And maybe it says in the feat, like, you could swing through the trees like a monkey, right? It's like, and, and, you, and you make the argument that, like, in, in, like, this kind of, like, wiry, very vertically built city, there's a lot of, like, things sticking out. You should be able to apply it there. You know, that's, I think, an example of where you can get very yes-andy, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that's that's the kind of thing that that, that that works. I think flat bonuses, flat bonuses, which the, the way a lot of these kind of things tend to go, are not great for for kind of fitting into this framework. Yeah. To what extent do you think like being yes and is like a like so for instance I always think back to uh, to like a, a session a game session that I had in college where um, we were playing 4E for the first time and I was playing a druid. And, uh, and we were just, like, doing stuff or whatever, and the GM just kind of said, like, guys, like, the reason I don't have these fights in a, you know, uh, the reason I don't have these fights, like, in, a, in an open field is so that you can, like, interact with the environment, right? Like, do stuff with the environment. We happened to be fighting a swarm of rats, and I was this druid, and I had a thing called, like, acorn bomb or something like that you know like uh and what it was is i like make an acorn and then it gets volatile and it blows up sort of thing um but then i was like okay well i use the acorn on like one of the legs of this shelf in the cellar of whatever and the shelf topples over and it crushes the like the like the rat swarm right uh, on one hand, I was able to defeat, you know, like, on one hand, I was, I was able to defeat the rat swarm with, like, one move cleverly applied kind of thing. But then when we went up there to, like, get our bonus, the fucking barkeep was like, no, you, like, wrecked my cellar. I'm not giving you shit. You know what I mean? Like, to what extent do you think that, like, how, 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 do, you, how, do, you, how do you think about that kind of stuff when it comes to, like, yes anding, right? Like, um, was it the right thing to kind of penalize me for it after asking me to do it? Maybe I'm a little salty and want vindication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, so... Like, 
so, so there's a couple things to unpack there, right? Like, I do think that, I, first of all, it, a lot of it depends on the tone of your game, right? Like, I feel like the goofier the tone of your game, the more yes, Andy, you can be without kind of, like, breaking it. Um, I also think that, like, actions should have consequences, right? Like, that sounds like I... I think kind of, like, probing you to do it and then penalizing it, you for it is kind of a shitty move. Um, like, I'll give you that. But, like... In, like, you know, in, like, a, a, a world where he didn't say that to you, but you're like, oh, I could just break the leg off this table and have it fall on things, right? And, like, that was an idea that you had. Having that work, but then having the barkeep be like, you fucked up my table, I think that's fair. And that makes sense, right? Like, action should have, con should have like, realistic consequences. Um, uh, or in, in some regards. Um, but at the other... But, you know, um, on the other end, I think you should, like... I don't know. I, I, I think it's it's very much kind of like a case-by-case case situation. Because you also don't want, like, there's some things you, you never yes and, right? Like, you know, like, if 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 the uh, the fighter says, I flap my my arms real hard and I start flying, you don't yes and that, right? Like <laughs> That's true. You do not yes and that. Um, like, I, like uh, I think a very basic part of a lot of, like, the, uh, again, I'm going to parrot some angry GM advice, but the first part of deciding any action resolution, the first step is deciding if it's possible or not um, and conveying that information across, right? Like, you know, and sometimes it's not as bad as, like, you know, the fighter flaps his arms and flies across the canyon. But if it's, like, you know, the fighter tries to seduce the queen, right? Like, I think there's a level of, like, that's not going to work, right? Like, or, you know, you you feel like that's probably not going to work. That, that, that should be there right like i i like right. i don't think that every option always needs to be open to or, you know every avenue needs to be open to, to characters um again that also depends on the tone of your game right like i can imagine a a game where that does make a lot of sense but like in, in a more serious game like um you know like if marigrug in hell's rebels was like i'm going to seduce bars lie through i think you should say no um Whereas maybe in, in a different game, it, it, it could work. Well, okay. Uh, I guess that's time. Um, yeah, did, did you, I, I did you want to talk about kobolds and catacombs? Fuck my life. Do you, you want to talk about it a little bit? We, we can go a little bit over. This is our podcast. I don't even know what I, I didn't even know what I want. I, 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 I want to say so many things, but like, I, I also didn't get to play the game as much as I expected to. I mean, I like, because uh, I expected it to drop at midnight last night, but it dropped at noon today. So I, you know, and I, I get up in the afternoon because I'm working the night shift or whatever. And so I got I got to play, and I went to the DMV, and I was playing on my phone, like obsessively playing on my phone. It's basically living up to like all of my hype and wishes. <laughs> I was super pumped for this fucking dungeon run thing, right? Uh, like, do you know that? Have I explained the dungeon run on the, like on the cast before? I think you have. I think you yeah, did a couple yeah. weeks ago. Because it's like you know, it's like a roguelike, right? But then, uh, and you you have to defeat eight bosses. Um, but you start with a ten card deck, and then you get to put more and more cards in your deck after you defeat each boss, kind of thing. So it's like a little bit like arena, a little bit, right? Um, uh, I've be so far, I have completed two runs on rogue. I want to say by abusing the jade mechanic and hunter. Uh, which was incredible because my hunter deck was fucking garbage, um, but just some by some miracle, I was able to make it uh, make it across the finish line uh, with hunter. Um, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna play through. There's a card back if you complete a dungeon run with all all nine classes. But man, I feel like I could just do this for forever, right? Like all of the like 
This mode I've been waiting for, I feel like, for my entire Hearthstone history to play Dungeon Runs. Because uh, it's the kind of mode that allows you to do all of the fun, crazy, kooky things that you feel like you never get to do in, like, real play because it's not, like, efficient, right? You're playing against other people or whatever. Um, But, like, you know, I so, like, like, you know the Jade mechanic, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, every time you play so, a Jade, you, you get a, a, a starts with one thing, it's two, two, three, three, four, four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so, like, you can get a Jade package, right, uh, as part of, like, one of the, you know, because the three cards you get at, after defeating a boss kind of have a theme, right? And okay. so, for Rogue, I got the Jade package, and I kept getting Aya Blackpaw, who has a battle cry that says summon, um, you know, summon a summon a jade golem and death rattle says summon a jade golem right but then i also got a treasure which are these incredibly powerful effects that you can get that said your death rattles trigger twice i was like oh that's neat right so i um so i kept summoning uh like i and, and i got multiple eye of black paws right i was getting all these eye of black paws and i was getting death rattle minions like velocity like the the unearthed velociraptor that has a battle cry that says take a take a death rattle from one of your other minions, right, right? Right, right? So I was just creating just gigantic fucking jade monsters, right? You never get to do this in a real game because people either concede or you know, like whatever yeah, you know, like yeah. whatever else dumb thing that they that they that they possibly do, kind of thing. Uh, I also had a run on my warrior run, which was the most interesting thing ever. Um, there's a there's the new paladin legendary is called uh, uh, is called Valinir, I think. Um, it is, yeah, so it's, it's Volunteer and it says, Death Rattle, give a minion in your hand, plus four, plus two. When it dies, re-equip this, right? And I was playing when I had both Death, or I had Battle Cries triggering twice, and Death Rattles triggering twice, right? So I played Volunteer and then it died, and then a minion in my hand got plus four, plus, or plus eight, plus four, right? And then I played that minion, and it died, and it created two volunteers, right? But because one of the volunteers then immediately killed the other volunteer, another minion in my hand got the plus four, plus two. And I got into this thing where I was summoning, like, I, I literally summoned a guy that was, like, 30, you know, something attack because of the way that, like, volunteer keeps replicating itself with the with the doubling ups or whatever. I was like, this is so cool. I can never do this in fucking ranks. So I'm really into it. It's only been a couple of hours. Maybe this is just hype. Maybe I'll get really bored of it, but uh, fuck, not right now, man. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah, man. Sounds sounds fucking hype. I, I feel like we'll, we'll we'll do a more thorough covering of it next week, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. I you know because play it. we haven't we haven't we haven't gotten to play uh, we haven't gotten to play too much of it. Uh, I'm really excited to kind of see what like standard looks like. Uh, I'm I'm afraid because it seems like all of the warrior cards sucked, which sucks. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, maybe they're not artful, maybe, uh, like, a good warrior deck will come out of it, and I'll play, like, lots and lots of ranked. Well, I, I, th- I guess that remains to be seen. Um, but I, I think that that does about take us to the end of our time. Uh, if you'd like to email us about what you thought of, what you think of Power People, what you thought of, uh, any of the things we talked about on the show, you can email us at podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com or subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com. You can, uh, contact us uh, or rather, I just said that you can watch us on twitch.tv slash play games. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on iTunes. Leave us reviews, comments. We love all of it. We read all of it. Um, 
if we've got the opportunity, we'll talk about all of it. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Buddy, did you have anything else that you wanted to promote? Nope, I'm good. Uh, in that case, <laughs> until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>